Thank you, choir, orchestra, Rich and Pam. We are all aware that our nation is badly divided. We see it on a daily basis on the news. We have seen the marches, the protests, the demonstrations and riots. In New York, there was Occupy Wall Street. In Ferguson, Black Lives Matter. And in Charlottesville, white supremacists. I got a call from Reverend Jackson, pastor of Brookland Baptist, and he said, what is happening? Why is it that we are so divided? We ought not be. He said, we have the largest churches we've ever had. The gospel is proclaimed on radio and television on an hourly basis, so why is it we are so badly divided? I think you probably would agree with us that it's a spiritual issue, and I want us to consider it today from that perspective. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse number 9. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there be no divisions among you, but you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, that no man should say you were baptized in my name. Now I did baptize also the household of Steph Stephanus, Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech that the cross of Christ should not be made void. I want us to consider the division that we face today as we look at it from a spiritual perspective. And one thing we know is that there is a basis for cooperation, but what is it? What is that foundation on which we can build unity? Well, in verse number 9, he says that God is faithful. So the basis, the foundation for unity is who God is and who we are as his children. So he says then that God is faithful. God is dependable. We can rely upon God. In fact, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23 says the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Kip saying a while ago that God has been good to me. He's been faithful. Every night before I go to sleep, I thank God for his faithfulness. God, you've been faithful today. You have protected my family. You have provided for my family. God, you have been 
faithful, and I thank you. The psalmist tells us the extent of his faithfulness in chapter 36, verse 5. Thy loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Thy faithfulness reaches to the skies. God, you are faithful every day, and your faithfulness is extensive, reaching to the skies. So God is faithful. And he calls us to himself that we might be like him, not like the world. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible says then that when God calls us to himself, that he sanctifies us. Vine says sanctification is used in the New Testament of the separation of the believer from evil things and ways. So the scripture says then that if you are a believer, you have been sanctified. Now that speaks of your position. That when a person trusts Jesus Christ as Savior, you are placed in the body of Christ. So that speaks of your position, that you are in Christ. But there is also a process that the Holy Spirit is working in your life, that you are putting away sin and becoming more like Jesus. That is the process of sanctification. So sanctification then is a position I am placed in the body of Christ. It is a process in that I am becoming more like him and less like I was. So the Bible says then that I have been sanctified. God is faithful and he calls us to fellowship. We have been sanctified and called to fellowship. Now look at verse number nine again whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and there be no division among you. The word fellowship means communion, sharing in common. So we can cooperate with each other. We can build a foundation then of cooperation because of who he is and because of who we are in him. That God is faithful and he has called us to himself that we might become like him. So he has called us then to unity. That we are in him, he has called us to unity. I hear people say today that diversity is our strength. I would disagree with that. Diversity is necessary and it is enriching but unity is our strength. You see, the country is strong when it's united. The church is strong when it's united. We are strong when we are united, and the Bible says that God has called us to unity. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. So because God has called me to himself, he has called us to unity, he has called us to purity, he is pure, therefore I am to be pure. He is holy, therefore we are to be holy. And he has called us to loyalty because he is the Lord and we are to be loyal to him. So what then is the basis for our cooperation? Is there a foundation on which we can build? 
so that we can have cooperation? Yes. It is who he is and who we are in him. Now, we are called to cooperation, but we are aware of our division. Man has always been divided. Going back to the children of Adam and Eve, Cain killed his brother Abel, so we have always been divided. And the church sometimes is less like Jesus and more like the world in that we are divided as well. And the Corinthian church was in verse number 12. He said, I mean this, that each one of you saying, I'm a Paul, I have Apollos, I have Cephas, and I have Christ. And so the church in Corinth was divided over its leadership. There were those who say, well, I only listen to Peter, I only listen to Paul, I only listen to Apollos. Someone said, I don't listen to anybody, I just listen to Jesus. So they were divided. They were divided over leadership. When we look at the church today, we would say that the church is also divided. We're we're divided over doctrine. I'm I'm not de-emphasizing the importance of doctrine. Doctrine is extremely important. But there are many doctrines that are interpretations of Scripture. Therefore, my interpretation is important to me. It may or may not be right. Now, when the Bible speaks dogmatically, we are to stand dogmatically. But if someone disagrees with me in those areas of interpretation, I still should love them as brothers and sisters in Christ, even though we don't necessarily agree in our interpretation. The church is divided today over doctrine. The church is divided over style. Whether you're liturgical, traditional, contemporary, church is divided. I've said that before, that is reflected oftentimes in the names of our churches, New Hope Baptist Church. That means there was no hope in the last one. (laughs) Or Harmony Baptist, no harmony in the last one. Or Ebenezer number three Baptist. I wonder what happened to number one and number two. So the church is divided. We know that. I mean, we can pretend that it isn't so, but we know that the church is divided. It has been. Society is divided. We are divided politically. We have Republicans and Democrats. We have independents and progressives, conservatives, libertarians, anarchists. We've got Whigs. We've got it all. We're divided politically. We're divided economically, the haves and the have-nots, the rich and the poor. We're divided concerning policy. There are some who think that the only policy is diplomacy and others think the only policy is military. The fact is we are divided, so how do we deal with it? You would agree that we are divided, so how do we deal with it? There are basically two ways of dealing with it. One is to ignore it. Charles Spurgeon told the story about when he was a young pastor and there was a woman who didn't like him. I cannot identify with him, but he had this woman who did not like him. So he decided that he was just going to ignore her. So one day she came up to him and she began railing on him and he, he just stood there and after she paused, he said, yes, thank you, I am quite well. I hope you're the same and he walked off. She looked at him and then she saw him at a later time and she did the same thing. She began to rail on him again and he said, yes, it does look as if it might rain. I think I'd better be getting on and he left. She said, bless the man, he can't hear it thunder. And so she left him alone. Now, we think sometimes on issues that if we just ignore them, that they will go away. The truth is, if we ignore them, they only get worse. You know that. For instance, in our physical bodies, 
We have a pain and we ignore it. I told Dr. Reinhardt when he became my doctor, I said, now you, you need to understand that my, my inclination is to deny things. See, if I have a pain, if I don't confess it, I think that it will go away. So I said, so don't ask me how I, how I feel. I'll tell you I feel fine because I, I ignore things. I deny things. So we do that with our physical body. We try to do it within the spiritual body. We pretend that everything's all right. All of us love each other. You know, we put on our happy faces on Sunday and come to church and pretend like we like everybody. Some of you are probably sitting where you are because you don't want to sit by someone here. So we ignore it. It only gets worse. In the national body, we do the same thing. We try to pretend that America is one when we know it isn't. We can ignore division or we can confront it, and that's what Paul did. He confronted the problem. We're going to look at that. And see, the, the problem with political correctness is that we do not confront issues with which we disagree. We shout each other down. But we do not confront them. And so it only gets worse. If we ignore our differences, our division, we become fragmented. For instance, we can salute the flag and say that we are one nation under God all the time, knowing that we are not, that we are fragmented, and that leads to confusion. The fragmentation of a unit always leads to confusion. We look at our country badly fragmented. I don't know about you, but I know I'm confused. Sometimes I think I'm living in the twilight zone. What in the world happened? What happened to the country that I, I grew up in, the history that I studied? What happened to it? So we become confused by it. In the church, we become confused when we are fragmented as to the purpose of the church. What is the purpose of the church? Is it to have a choir? I like the choir. Is that the purpose? Is it to have something to do on Sunday morning? I love coming here. Is that the purpose? Point is, ladies and gentlemen, when we're fragmented, we become confused about our purpose, so it has to be confronted. Paul confronted it in verse number 11. I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Paul confronted the fragmentation of the Corinthian church. As a matter of fact, he confronted individuals by name. Can you imagine that? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, Paul wrote, Some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered over to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Can you imagine that? The preacher says, you know, Brother Smith and Brother Jones have been acting like the devil and I just gave them over to the devil. I mean, he called them by name. And he does it again in 2 Timothy 4.14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. So he mentions some by name and says, I gave them over to the devil. He mentions some others and said, I gave them to the Lord for discipline. Corinth was a city known for its factions. 
and factions had gotten into the Corinthian church. Quarrels, verse number 11, I've been informed concerning you that there are quarrels among you. The first step uh, to fragmentation is quarrels. I was reading yesterday in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3, where the writer said, any fool will quarrel. Quarrels. Romans chapter 1, verse 29 indicates that that is a characteristic of the unsaved. Quarrels. Characteristic of the unsaved. It is also a characteristic of the believer who is immature. Galatians chapter 5, 19 and 20. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. The word strife refers to one who is immature in Christ. The immature person is quarrelsome. So those people who are quarrelsome, according to Scripture, are either lost or immature in the faith. In verse number 12, he says, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I'm a Paul, I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. The believers in Corinth had all the spiritual gifts. It's an interesting study when you study through 1 Corinthians because they had all the spiritual gifts, but they were in incredibly immature. So they were divided. There were factions about who their leadership was. I look at the church today and what is the one thing that divides us more than anything else in the church? Don't tell Steve this, but it's music. Some people like Bach and some people like Gaither. And when I hear someone say, I can only worship with this kind of music, then my response is, then worship, as far as you are concerned, is not about God, it is about you. I like all kinds of music, almost. Every once in a while he'll come up with a dud, but it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> you might like it. See, I don't have to like everything we do. It isn't about me, and it isn't about you. It is about God. There are quarrels and divisions. Verse number 10, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there be no divisions among you. There are two basic reasons for division. One, sometimes people cause the division. You know and I know as well those people who have caused division within the body of Christ. They are divisive. There are those people who just cause division within the body of Christ. So sometimes division comes as a result of people. Sometimes division comes as a result of Christ. He causes the division. The Bible says in John 7, 43, So there was a division among the people because of him. How's that work? Well, when Christ points out sin with which we disagree, then we are divided. Rather than listen to the authority of the Lord... Rather than respond to the authority of his word, we become divided 
when God says something is sin, but we don't want it to be sin. There's a reality of fragmentation, and it has to be confronted because it results in mutilation. Verse number 13, has Christ been divided? The word divided there in verse 13 is a different word than the word divided in verse number 10. Here in verse number 13, it literally means to cut to pieces. So within the context of what Paul is saying, he is saying he is referring to the crucifixion. In verse number 13 again, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? So what he's referring to is the crucifixion. Jesus was crucified. We know that story. Jesus was crucified. He died on the cross on Calvary. He was crucified. But the point that Paul is making is that when the church is divided, Christ is being crucified again. Oh, how can that be? Because that is how strongly Jesus identifies with the church. When the church is divided, then Jesus is being crucified again. You probably remember the story about Saul before he became the Apostle Paul on the way to Damascus. He met the Lord. And the Lord asked him a question. He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, he probably could have responded, what do you mean? Why am I persecuting? I'm not persecuting you. But he was persecuting the church. And Jesus so identifies with his bride, the church, that he says, when you persecute the church, then you persecute me. When the church is divided, you're dividing me. And by division, we, we mutilate the cause of Christ and the purpose of the church. And what is it? It is evangelism. The purpose of the church, Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what Jesus said. I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. And ladies and gentlemen, when we become divided over secondary issues, we lose the purpose of the church, which is evangelism. You can read the statistics even in our own denomination that baptisms are down because we are simply not evangelizing now. We are not reaching people with the gospel now. We're doing a lot of good things, but we have compromised our purpose which is to share the good news of Jesus with our world. That is the result of mutilation. So there is a call for restoration in verse number 10. I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there be no divisions among you, but you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. In verses 10 and 11, he uses the word brethren. So how do we restore unity? I mean, we all want that, do we not? We really want unity. So how do we have it? How do we restore it? Well, I think first of all that Christ has to be central to all things. That it must be Jesus. The centrality of Christ in our worship. Folks, when we come to worship on Sunday, it isn't to hear the choir, the music. 
It isn't to watch the preacher. All of these things, it isn't any of that. It is to meet with Jesus. That's what worship is. It is that we come and meet with Jesus. And if we have great music and great preaching and do all the things that we can do, great teaching in the Sunday school, but you do not meet with Jesus, then it isn't what it's supposed to be. In our worship, in our teaching, it isn't the latest issue that is the focus, it is Jesus that is the focus. In our ministry, it is not my ministry, it is Jesus' ministry. So if we're going to have unity, then it must be based on the centrality of Christ and our commitment to unity. Look again at verse number 10. I exhort you by the name of our Lord Jesus that you all agree. Be no divisions, but you be made complete in the same mind, in the same judgment. If Christ is central, then we are committed to unity. He said, you all agree. That means to speak the same thing. Literally, it means to speak the same thing. You agree, speak the same thing. Let me ask you a question. What does your speech reveal about you? What does it say about you? The Apostle Paul said, I'm determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He said we are to have the same mind. That means when we have differences, that we don't ignore each other and we don't yell at each other, we listen. The same judgment speaks of opinion. And we are to share the same opinion about the Word of God, the things of God. Doesn't it mean that we agree on every interpretation? But this is the Word of God. And Jesus is the Son of God. So we conclude by saying we live in a divided world. Society is divided, we know that. As Christians, we also face division. I'm convinced that unity, to respond to Reverend Jackson's question, I believe that unity in the nation will come when there's unity in the body of Christ. Don't think it's going to come if we elect a Democrat, a Republican, or anybody else. I think it comes when the church is united. Lord George, the former Prime Minister of Britain, said whenever there is a moral issue to be settled, when the church bells ring in unison, the battle will be over. We must ring the bells in unison and become one in Christ. And only then can our country have unity. It goes back to you because it is a spiritual issue. When the church becomes one in Christ, we will see unity in our nation. Our Father in God, I pray that you will speak to the hearts of people, pray that you already have. Lord, we have desires, but sometimes we don't want the answer. We know the questions and you are the answer. Lord, I pray for those who have never committed to Christ that today they would. I pray, Father, for those who uh, need to join with the church to become a part of it. I pray that they will in Jesus' name, amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing a hymn of invitation. If you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, I encourage you to do so today. Commit to him. 
If you're looking for a church home, our doors open. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please. As we stand, the choir sings. You come, I'll greet you as you do. may remain standing.